friends, welcome to the Empowered Homes podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to be a resource to connect church and home. And we have a special guest on Zoom with us this morning, Dr. Jim Dennison. Dr. Dennison, welcome. Bobby, glad to be back with you today. Thanks for the privilege. So grateful for you, your church, your ministry, and honored to be in the conversation. Yeah, we are super excited to have you back. Uh, those listening, if you want to listen to the last episode, it'll be linked on the description here. But uh, for those who didn't listen to the last episode and may not know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You bet. So my ministry right now is in cultural apologetics. My calling is to speak biblical truth to cultural issues. I lead a organization called Denison Ministries, which uh, impacts 6.6 million people every month with transforming truth. We offer biblical thinking on cultural issues. We offer expository Bible studies. We offer devotional resources. We specifically, for this conversation, have a website called christianparenting.org that offers resources specifically designed to encourage and equip parents to raise children to know and love the Lord. And then we have a pastor and leadership resource as well called A Pastor's View. And all of that's available at denisonministries.org. Yes. And uh, so grateful for all that you do and uh, helping kind of be at the forefront of culture and how us as Christians, we live with the biblical worldview. And what I love about your ministry is it it helps us make it practical, helps it, it, it brings it into reality of how we speak grace and truth with, with God's word into the current context that we're living in. And you do such a great job of helping us bridge that gap. And and so that's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love is really, I think the call for all of us these days. Yeah. And you just so honored to have you today and thankful for you. Um, Well, let's jump in. Uh, the conversation that I wanted to talk to you about today is you have a brand new book um, that has come out, um, The Coming Tsunami. Um, You wrote this. Here's what it looks like for those looking. Uh, It's it's fantastic. It's well-written. It's, Mm -hmm. like I said, you're bridging that gap so that, um, you know, if we've been a Christian for 70 years or three years, we can understand and it's practical and relevant. So tell us about the book. Where did, where did this come from? Kind of your heart behind writing all these things. Well, thank you for that. So really, I guess my story is a place to begin with that. I grew up in Houston, Texas, a wonderful, loving home but no spiritual life. My father had fought in the Second World War and never went to church again. So I grew up with all his questions, evil and suffering, science and faith, uh, world religions, all of that. Dad had his first heart attack when I was two and died when I was a senior in college at Houston Baptist University. I eventually came to faith in Christ through the outreach of some friends in a bus ministry of a Baptist church in Houston, but still had all these questions, all these issues. Uh, in high school, someone gave me C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and it was transforming for me. First time I'd seen anyone deal with faith intellectually. So wound up getting a PhD in philosophy and teaching philosophy and apologetics at four seminaries, pastoring four churches across all these years. But my focus in all of that had been engaging cultural and intellectual issues. So in 2009, we were able to launch Denison Ministries so that I could full-time do this, my wife and I and our team, so that we could devote our entire resources to helping people think biblically about cultural issues and redemptively to use their influence in a proactive way in the culture. We started with Denison Forum specifically and now the other brands I've described. So across these last 40 years, Bobby, I've been seeing this rising tide of opposition to the Christian faith. It's been the space I've been living in. But in the last six months, I've become convinced that that rising tide has reached such a stage as to be unprecedented in American history. 
I'm not saying that to sell books. I'm not saying that to create buzz. I'm saying that, I wouldn't have said that a year ago. I'm absolutely convinced that what we as followers of Christ are facing these days, Christians in America have not faced. I'm not saying we're in China. I'm not saying we're in North Korea. I'm not saying we're facing what my friends in Cuba are facing, but I am saying that we've never faced this before. And if we don't understand this, don't know why it's happening, and don't respond redemptively, we can't turn the tide. But the good news is God's still on his throne. None of this surprises him. Always too soon to give up on God. Hmm. And what I love, you hit the nail on the head of my question, is a lot of times when when just the coming tsunami, those in our culture that's so anxious and so... I mean, you can't turn on the news without just hearing the worst of the worst, and it's just hitting us, and it's almost creating fear. Um, and you're not—you're saying that that's not your heart behind this, correct? That's right. Yeah, you're not. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, let me speak to that real quickly, if I could. When we started this ministry back 13 years ago, uh, a good friend of mine. Now we're talking. He had spent his career on uh, advising organizations and parachurches, that sort of thing, strategic leadership. So we asked how this would be funded. I said, well, it'll be a donor-based ministry. He asked, well, who's your enemy? And asked, well, what do you mean? And then he explained, not really facetiously at all, that if you want to raise funds, you do three things. You convince people they have an enemy. You convince them they can't defeat their enemy. Then you convince them that you will defeat their enemy if they'll give you money Mm. or vote for you or whatever it is you want them to do, which is actually how it's working, unfortunately, in so much of our politics and our culture these days. Well, we try very intentionally not to do that not to run to the buzz, not to do things that are intended to be uh, on some level insightful or hateful or uh, antagonistic. Those on the other side of this are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. My friend John Stone Street says ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. So let's not see this as a cultural war where we're uh, being antagonistic to those on the, let's be cultural missionaries. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's be beggars helping beggars find bread. In my mind, that's an absolutely crucial point as we engage the issues of the day. Yeah, and it's not to cause fear or to be, that's right. be a hot button, uh, and, and that's what I love. And the tagline on your book is why Christians are labeled intolerant, irrelevant, uh, oppressive, and dangerous, and how we can turn the tide. And so as we look at these things in your book, uh, I guess the question I would have is like, you know, I, I look at the news, I look at culture, and a lot of people will see things and let's just turn it off. Let's just go buy a farm, get away from it all. But you're saying let's turn to it. Why is it important for Christians to turn into this? Yeah, no, what a practical question, especially for parents and families these days. I understand the temptation. I absolutely do. I spend my life in the news and in the culture, and there are days I don't want to go to work. There are days I don't want to open the news feed, follow the Twitter feed, all the stuff that's out there. But I think it's on two levels. The first is the more obvious proactive. We're called to be salt and light. Salt's no good in the salt shaker. Light's no good under the bushel basket. Jesus founded the church at the gates of hell. That's a specific place. I take people there when we go to Israel, Caesarea Philippi, up north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a cave. It's still a cave, although it was caved in with an earthquake in the 19th century. There was a stream originally that rose up through this cave so it was so deep the ancients couldn't measure the depth so they called it the gates of the underworld or the gates of hades or the gates of hell it's an actual literal place in jesus day there was a temple in front of it to the worship of caesar next to that a temple to the worship of zeus all sorts of horrific even bestiality horrific immorality practice that's where jesus brought his disciples to start the church 
not in the temple in Jerusalem, not at a synagogue in Capernaum. He brings them there, pointing at that. He says, on this rock, I will establish my church, and the gates of hell will not withstand its assault. So we exist to be proactive, to be incarnational, to make disciples of all nations. That's one piece. The other piece is there's no hiding from this. There's no running from this. There's no buying a farm and getting away from this. If you're connected to the internet, if your kids are at all on social media, if your family ever watches television, if you're in any way engaged in this culture, you have to deal with this culture. Last June during Pride Month, we saw Kellogg's and others that were marketing Pride-themed cereal boxes and Nickelodeon children's programming endorsing LGBTQ activism and drag queen reading hours at public libraries. So there's no cave you can hide in from this. And so for the sake of our families, for the sake of our culture, let's engage this in a redemptive and proactive way. Yeah. And leaning into what's happening and in your book, you talk about uh, these four quakes uh, or cultural mm-hmm. quakes in the book. Can you describe some of those quakes and, and kind of as we're talking about the culture shape, what is our current culture look like and how us as Christians can turn into it? Yeah, you bet. So the four earthquakes, very briefly, uh, the first is a rejection of biblical truth. Now it goes back to the 18th century, century manual con, but the short version is that we live in a day, a post-truth culture. Post-truth was the word of the year, according to Oxford University Dictionary a few years ago. So we live in a day when you have your truth, I have my truth. 92% of Americans say they are their own soul determiner of moral truth. Saw a survey the other day, 79% of Americans say it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're tolerant of other beliefs. Only 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. The percentage of Americans who think the Bible is myth has doubled in the last 20 years. And so there's a consensual belief that tolerance is the new truth. And if you disagree, you're intolerant. Makes the Bible a diary of religious experience you have no right to force on me. Well, that's foundational to the other three earthquakes. The second, very briefly, is a rejection of biblical morality. We've already talked about that some. So that's the sexual revolution of the 60s. LGBTQ activism we're seeing these days tries to normalize same-sex behavior and then to legalize. We've seen that with Obergefell in 2015. Now we're at stigmatizing those who disagree and then criminalizing those who disagree, the so-called Equality Act and other legislation that's out there. So that's a second kind of earthquake, underwater earthquake causing this tsunami. Tsunami is a massive tidal wave you can see caused by underwater earthquakes you can't, which is kind of the metaphor of the book. The third, very briefly, building on the first and second, takes us to critical theory, critical race theory. Very long, complicated conversation, but the short version is it says that Christians, because we're a majority, are by definition oppressors of the culture, white Christians especially, oppressors by definition, leads to the fourth earthquake, a rising secular ideology, which says that religion is dangerous, that religion flies planes into buildings and uh, causes clergy abuse scandals and 9-11s and spends money on buildings instead of people in heaven instead of earth. And so what we really need to do is replace religion with authenticity that leads to flourishing in a very secular ideology. So, We haven't seen this before in American history. John Adams said the Constitution was intended for a moral and religious people and is wholly unsuited to the governance of any other. But now we're in this place where biblical Christians are seen as intolerant, as bigoted, as homophobic, as prejudiced, as oppressive, and even as dangerous. And that's the times in which God is calling us to be salt and light. Yeah, and these four quakes are, as you say, creating this tsunami um, that, that's that's built. 
And, you know, I just had recently, this past Sunday, actually, I had a conversation with a group of adults and uh, their, you know, this scenario came up in the class and their daughter uh, has a girl in her high school that they grew up together. Everything's great. Um, but this girl's struggling with same-sex attraction. She came forward, told her best friend, and now the mom doesn't know what to do. And so sure. she's reaching out for her help. She's like, we've had this girl in our house all our life, and we love her. She spent the night countless times. Now what's our response as Christ followers to this? And so it's happening for our listeners, our parents. Mm-hmm. It's it's in their world right now, all of these things that you're talking about. But how do we, in a loving, as you said, uh, you know, redemptive way, have conversations to help these parents who are who are really in the throes right now? And, mm-hmm. and I didn't know, you know, what to say. And so, mm-hmm. what would you say to that mom who came forward with this scenario and say, how do how do we go through this situation as Christians, as loving, um, but with grace and truth. And it's a, it's a tough, tough thing. It's, it's hard. It is hard. It absolutely is hard. I mean, your heart breaks for parents that are having these conversations. Some of my best friends, some of my colleagues in our ministry have children that have uh, declared same-sex attraction and, uh, and they're just grieving, obviously, as you would be uh, for families that are facing this kind of, uh, this real crisis in their lives and in their families. The first thought that I have is to double down on your own relationship with Jesus first. Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Spirit. That's a daily decision. Get alone with God. Read His Word. Pray. Submit to Him. Ask the Spirit to empower you. Ask the Spirit to take control of your mind and your life. Ask God's Spirit to give you His grace for your kids, to give you truth you didn't know to speak, to give you compassion you didn't know you had, to give you courage. When you need courage, come to the Father every single day and ask Him for the spiritual and mental and intellectual, uh, emotional resources that you need. Don't do this on your own, is my point. Second, go to others. If you take a coal out of the fire, it goes out. If you keep it connected, it stays lit. Find other people to pray for you and pray with you. If you know people that are facing the same issue in their families, then so much the better. As you do this together, as you walk this road together, and then third, get professional help. I'm not a professional counselor. Uh, In our book, we offer certainly some advice in this context, but I would really urge somebody in this space to speak to someone who's a professional in the space. Exodus Ministry has a remarkable resource here. The number of pastors and resources that one can find and material available online and in print that will specifically from a counseling and professional perspective help parents to help their children as they move through all of this. And then the last piece is never give up hope. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, homosexuality, same-sex behavior is listed as one of those behaviors that God forbids because he knows how damaging it is to us. But then you get to a verse 11 and it says, and such were some of you, but you were healed. You were redeemed by the power and the grace of God. It's always too soon to give up on God for the sake of our kids and our families. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, you know, on the flip side of, of looking at culture and its influences. So that was a real scenario. Another real scenario that happened uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was talking with a group of men and we were talking about like the reality of our culture and what are some of our biggest struggles. And several of the men said like, if, Mm -hmm. if 
I was at work, most of the people don't know I'm Christians because I'm afraid mm-hmm. to be outspoken and I'll lose my mm-hmm. job. What, right. what would you say to encourage those men who it's a real, I mean, that's your livelihood. That's, you know, we want to push back and lean into the culture, but at the same time balance, like I got to feed my family. Right. So there's mm-hmm. that tension with the, a lot of parents maybe listening, going, yes, I want to, I want to fight back with truth, but there's a lot of legal restrictions on what they can or can't say. What is there a balance? Is there something we can do? I mean, uh, to be overtly uh, in in our context known by who we follow. So, no. what a practical question. Thanks for asking me that. I do a lot of work with the CEO forum. I'm one of their scholar fellows. And that's a very common question that comes up that we talk about. And so we talk about three places inside all of this. The first we've already discussed, and that's making certain that I am so close to the Lord, that I'm so empowered by God, that God can lead me to say what I didn't know to say. Mm. God knows their heart better than I do. God's already prepared the people he wants me to engage for the sake of the truth at work or wherever that might be. So it's staying connected to him, not trying to do this on your own. And then second, do that which you can do just in the course of your normal life and livelihood. I'm aware of CEOs that have a Bible on their desk, that wear a cross, that in their conversations talk about where they were in church last Sunday or talk about something that they felt the Lord had said to them in Scripture. And so you want to be discerning here, of course, but in just the course of daily life, there are ways to be salt and light. There are ways to live and ways that the Lord will use in the lives of others and know that if you're following Jesus, that's obvious. The darker the room, the more obvious the light. I remember years ago being in Carlsbad Cavern and said to make you sit down. The tour guide turns off his flashlight. It's pitch dark. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Then he turns the light back on and you're drawn to it. You can't help it. Hmm. You automatically are taken to the light. So know that if you're following Jesus, others are seeing your light, even if you're not aware that they are. And so just follow him in a way that is general, that is natural, that is just the way you're just following Jesus and you're talking about him in natural ways. Then the third piece is to know where the red lines are ahead of time. Decide what places you're not willing to go in your job, what lines you're not willing to cross. I was doing a consult with a Christian who's in the healthcare space. He's at a secular organization. He's number two in this very large organization. And he's right right now measuring red lines relative to medical ethics. He, for instance, will not stay if they start doing voluntary termination of pregnancy or what we call abortion, except to save the life of the mother or fetal deformity incompatible with life. If they go beyond that, if they start doing elective abortion, he's already decided he will resign. On the other hand, he's made a decision, he's wrestled with this, that during Pride Month, he's not going to resign his position. He's not going to be so antagonistic to what they're doing in Pride Month as to lose the ability to have influence in that organization. There's a sense in which if we fight every battle that's out there, we then aren't in the war to fight any battles. And so there's this discernment that God will give us as to what red lines are out there. But my advice is to decide those ahead of time. Mm. Talk to friends, get them to pray with you, talk to your pastor about this, Uh, get some uh, some real help and encouragement around that. And know ahead of time what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, and then live in that space in the peace of the Lord and the power of the Spirit. And incredibly practical of just making sure our hearts are connected to the Lord, understanding and do what we can. And if mm-hmm. our hearts are connected to the Lord, number two is should come out. Um, That's right. That, that light within us. Uh, That's right. And then number three, know the red lines and know those ahead of time. It was, it's super practical uh, for for those in the 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 work 
place where it's secular and you may have to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, we could still, my encouragement from what you just said is there's nothing stopping us. The gospel and God can use. And so I know there's a lot of guys probably going or or ladies that are listening and going, and you just don't know my situation and they Mm -hmm. probably feel guilty or they feel shame, which is the enemy trying to make them feel that way. That's Uh, right. But they are being the light, even in the midst uh, of, of their situation. Just don't, don't quick, so. quick example. If I could, William Wilberforce yeah. is so famous for uh, leading the fight to abolish slavery. Uh, when he came to a very definite faith in the Lord, very personal faith in God, first thing he wanted to do was to resign from parliament because so much of what parliament was doing was ungodly. Hmm. So many of the laws that were passing, so much of the stuff they were dealing with, he really struggled with as a believer and should have. And speaking out to friends, they encouraged him to stay in that position of influence so he could then use that for the sake of the gospel, and specifically, as he was called to abolish slavery. So if he had fought every battle that came down the way, if he had resigned, which would have been the easier path, uh, I suppose, uh, so he wouldn't have to wrestle with any of these issues, he would never have been in a position to do the things that God had him in position there to do. James Davison Hunter, a sociologist in Virginia, has, uh, in my opinion anyway, written a remarkable book called To Change the World, in which he demonstrates culture changes top-down. It changes when you achieve your highest place of influence and live there faithfully. He calls it manifesting faithful presence. Mm. If he was in this conversation, he would be urging those listening to us in our discussion right now to live with excellence where you are, to be salt and light where you are. If there's a red line, then absolutely, obviously don't cross that red line. But short of that, be redemptive about this. See this as an opportunity the more secular the room, the more necessary the gospel, mm, right? That's good. The more you're assigned to that missionary place. And then one other thing I would add very briefly, if I could, we all have a sense of God's chronological call, kind of a Macedonian call. God called us from Atlanta to Dallas in 98 and so forth. But there's also a chronological sense of God's call. It's by God's grace. We weren't alive 100 years ago or 100 years from now if the Lord tarries. So if God couldn't use you in this moment, you wouldn't be in this moment. Mm. If God can't use you in the secular environment where you find yourself, you wouldn't be there. Praise God that you're there. You're going to see more lost people today than most pastors see in a month. You are the church for them. You are the Bible they will read. You are the sermon they'll hear. So let's seize the opportunity as difficult as I know it is. I spend a lot of my life in the secular space as well. And I'm not trying to be naive or downplay the challenge that that can be. That's why that first piece is so important, to stay plugged in every day, to stay connected with the Lord every day. And then out of that, as you said, Bobby, you'll live a natural kind of overflowing life that will be attractive to others, and God will give you courage when you need courage. Mm, so good. and in, Incredible. Shifting gears for the secular. I know we have a lot of listeners that are church leaders and it's been tough the last couple of years. I know just as my own personal experience, just with the division of, you know, I could be down the hallway, have one conversation, and then the seconds later, the next conversation is complete opposite. And it's just this tough battle. And, and I don't know if you're experiencing, but I just see a lot of ministry leaders that I've worked with for decades that are no longer in ministry. They've thrown in the flag and said, I'm, I'm out of this. And I don't know if that's your experience too, or just if I'm feeling it, cause it's just happened a lot lately, but what would you say to the church leader leading in the midst of the tsunami too, and just mm-hmm. encourage them of like, don't, don't, 
don't give up hope. Uh, I guess that'd be the greatest, <laughs> but it's hard when you're in the middle of it too. But what is some encouragement for those church leaders listening? Yeah, thanks again for another very practical question. The first we've already discussed, of course, and people in ministry know that, the importance of being filled with the Spirit, starting the day by being connected with God. Ronald Reagan once asked the Air Force One pilots why they always landed so close to the front of the runway. And they said, well, Mr. President, the first thing they teach in flight school is you can't use the runway behind you. And so you start the day getting connected with them, but just because we know it doesn't mean we do it. Uh, For those of us in ministry, it can be really tempting to make what we're discussing right now kind of a practical sort of a chore, right? Uh, Took out the trash, walked the dog, read the Bible. Um, I remember being very convicted at a silent retreat many years ago. Uh, I couldn't remember the last time I read the Bible just for my sake, Hmm. not to prepare a sermon or a Bible study. The last time I prayed, not to go over a prayer list or about a need, but just to be with God. Couldn't remember the last time I took 10 minutes to listen to God. And so if Satan can't keep us from having a daily time with God, he'll try to make that so routine and so boring that it's really not empowering like it needs to be. So we start there. We start with an empowering, intimate relationship with God that is so vital to everything else we're saying. And then second, kind of similar to what we've said, I would encourage those that are in ministry to be engaged with other ministry leaders to know you're not alone. Yeah, It's so isolating, isn't it? And so much of what we're facing, we can't really talk about with church members or sometimes even our own families. Uh, We want our families to be able to go to church. We want them to be able to experience the ministry there and not know a lot of the things that we know that we're facing. And so when I came to Dallas, God gave me the best pastor friends I've ever had. We're still friends. We still stay in touch to this day. And we had a regular rhythm. We had lunch together twice a month, prayed for each other every day. And over time, we developed a level of authenticity I'd never experienced before. And it was just amazing how often when I was down, they were up. Or when they were down, I was up. And so many times, what they were facing led directly to what I was facing. We were in different denominations, came from very different traditions. But the Holy Spirit used that fellowship for over 10 years in my life. And so I would urge Christian leaders to be in some, it could be a small group of fellow Christian leaders with whom you're meeting regularly. Not just when you think you need it, because then it may be too late, Mm. but to be building in these relationships where you're praying for each other every day, you're meeting regularly with each other, you're encouraging each other. And then the other piece that I would mention very briefly is to say, the greater the opposition, the more necessary the task, right? Satan's trying to run you off. The enemy's trying to get you out of where you are for a reason. You want to be a threat to Satan. My youth minister growing up used to say, if you and the devil aren't running into each other, you're probably running with each other. And so now there may be some places where God is clearly leading you to do something else. I'm not saying that, but discouragement is not how God leads. Discouragement is not the Lord's tool. That's the enemy's tool. Very quick story, if I could, I just yeah. just came to mind. Devil was having a garage sale and he had all his tools up and they're all priced and they're labeled and marked and over here's hatred and anger and lust and murder and all of that. At the end of the table, there's this one tool. It has no label. It's more worn than any other tool, has the highest price of all. Someone asked the devil what it was. He said, it's discouragement. They asked, why is it priced so highly? He said, because no one knows it's mine. Hmm. So don't let him use that tool on you, Wow, is the point. That's good. Discouragement is not how God leads. Yeah. God may be leading you, but it's not like that. Yeah. So stay connected to him and with each other, and we'll fight this fight together. Yeah, that's so good. I think we've say it, we say it all the time, is alone is dangerous. You know, we can get picked, right. picked apart. While we're alone, right. and a lot of ministry leaders, I feel like they they are alone. They're going at it alone. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening, don't 
don't be discouraged. Um, reach out uh, and and find someone that's like minded. That's that's what's you know I think for me personally as as being in ministry for as long as I have, I can look back and always see other people that I can go and I can vent with. I can talk about mm-hmm. these things and they can do it with right. me. And that, right. I think that's the, the longe- longevity of, of what I've been able to, what God's been able to allow me to do mm-hmm. um, is because of other like-hearted men and women who've been in the trenches with me. And uh, so the, yeah, absolutely. it's been said, every yeah. Christian needs a Paul, a Barnabas and a, and, uh, and a Timothy. Yeah. We need someone that's mentoring us. We need someone who's encouraging us. We need someone we're mentoring. Yeah. Everyone needs that. So who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? Yeah. 24-7. Always. So I've asked you, you know, practical stuff with families and parents as they go. I've asked about, you know, the workplace and then just the church leaders. So your book, um, you know, as we kind of wrap up the podcast, just those listening, um, they grab your book, they go through it. What's your hope for them, you know, to, to walk away and say, all right, here's the return on investment. I spent the time. I went through this. I want to X, Y, and Z. What's your hope with, with the words that you put down in this book? Yeah, great question. In First Chronicles 12, 32, we read about the men of Issachar who understood the times to know what Israel should do. So the hope of the book is that we'll explain why we are where we are, kind of connect some dots here so we know what to do in response. So we know now how to speak the truth in love. We know how to be salt and light more redemptively. We know how to take the kind of steps that can turn this tide and be catalysts for the kind of great awakening we so desperately need. I pray every day for the great awakening that is so desperately needed in our culture today. And I pray for God to use me to that end. And I'm praying for those that read this book, that that'll be the outcome. Gypsy Smith, who was a great revivalist of an earlier generation, was asked how revival starts. He said, well, go home, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, get on your knees, pray till everything inside that circle is right with God, and revival will be upon us. Mm. So I kind of wish with the book we gave everybody a piece of chalk and uh, the encouragement to let it start with me in my heart, in my soul today. Mm. So good. Dr. Dennison, thank you for your Mm. time. Uh, Those of you who are listening are like, man, I want to grab the book. Uh, where, Where can they get this? Yeah, thank you. It's actually number one on Amazon right now in its category, which is terrific. So it's available there. It's at Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Audible. The man who voices a lot of John Grisham's novels actually voiced the book for us, which is great. And then we have a website, thecomingtsunami.org, where you can order it there and see a lot of other resources, podcasts, and uh, white papers that we built around this topic as well. And that's at thecomingtsunami.org. But it's really available. It's, it's a Simon & Schuster imprint, and it's available wherever you get books, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Man, so if you're listening, grab this book uh, and let it be encouragement to you to lean into what's what's coming and and not go get a farm and and run away. Although we might want to, uh, but but we can as Christians uh, first connecting our heart to the Lord, uh, and then out of the overflow of that, uh, make an impact in in and a difference in our culture. And that's what God's called us to do to be the salt and light. So, Dr. Dennison, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate uh, just your heart and your ministry. Uh, and we'll have on the the podcast podcast description all the information to get connected with him and his ministry and all the other links that he has. It's incredible. Uh, and ChristianParenting.org, is that right? Christian that's Instagram. correct yeah christianparenting.org fantastic website resource for for those parents listening to so dr dennison thank you so much my honor to be with you today god bless